Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. And the Oscar goes to Marion Cotillard, La Vie Hello, and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. And we actually are having a returning guest on, uh, Mr. Daniel Krolik. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us again. You're very welcome. I'm very happy to talk about actresses. Well, of course. And um, so if anybody is just kind of tuning in randomly because they wanted to listen to the Marianne Cotillard episode and they don't know uh, who Daniel is, he is an actor and he has been on Murdoch Mysteries. And I actually looked you up. <laughs> <laughs> on, on what platform? Where did you look On you IMDb. Okay. And uh, it was uh, an, a very interesting sort of rabbit hole to go down. And um, I actually have to apologize to you because the last time that... Uh, you were my guest on this show. I should have known that, and I feel like uh, I that. that you were on Murdoch Mysteries because uh, my mom is obsessed with that show. Kyle, I, I really, I'm flattered and I appreciate it. I, I really think you're inflating my contribution to the Murdoch Mysteries. <laughs> well, it's 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 still. I mean, listen. I know what it's like to be a performer in Canada. Believe yes. me. Yeah, we have to take uh, it so and it, run with it. Um, absolutely. I wanna, I wanna dissuade people from looking me up at IMDb because years ago I put my birth date up on IMDb and I can't oh, get no. it down. <laughs> it's unforgivable. You have to go full yeah. Mariah, where when someone asks you, you just like, I don't know her. It's just there. Yeah. Um. So the episode that you did the last time was uh the share episode, mm -hmm. uh from 1988, and we were talking about Sally Kirkland, uh in um. Oh my God, what was that movie? Anna. Uh, Anna. Anna. And yeah. I got a bunch of messages being like, oh my God, I can totally get you the movie. Let me oh, get it no for you. Uh, Anna, yeah. They were literally like, I, well, a physical copy, I mean. They're like, I will send you a physical copy. And I was like, okay, I still haven't seen it though. So we're still undecided about is, Sally Kirkland. Is there one on their way to you? A copy of Anna? Did you take uh, somebody else up on the offer? Short answer, no. Okay. I'm very intrigued. I'm very, and, very interested. Well, see, the last episode that you were on, because we were talking about Sally Kirkland, we were talking about Roseanne. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when I was talking to Bill, because we did Catherine Hepburn 1968 for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And Bill also, by the way, any, no, but anybody listening to this podcast, I go by ceremony year. I do not go by the previous year before in which it's being nominated which for. Which is so always 19... tricky when you're looking up Oscars. Yeah. Oh, the gays are pissed. And frankly, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing this just to, you know, piss them off. <laughs> but, but Bill is in the middle of a Roseanne rewatch right now. So I got to say, sorry, I'm just having okay. a little sip of water here. Um, I got to say, I just, uh, Roseanne never spoke to me. I never understood the obsession with Roseanne, but I always obviously connected with the daughter that's like obviously a lesbian who mm -hmm. married the woman who wrote, um, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. You Wait, know that song? That's What's who, going on? Do I know that song? Was I alive you know? in the 1990s? That's who Sarah- Linda Perry? I didn't know that's who Sarah Gilbert is married to. Holy mm -hmm. shit, because mm -hmm. she's a major, I mean, she was sort of a one-hit wonder, but she ended up being like a major, major music producer. For Christina Aguilera and For, Pink? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, I didn't know that was a couple. Wow. So I think that what I love so much, and I've actually thought about it so much about the last episode that you were on when we did the share episode. Now, this is a spoiler for anybody that's listening, but like you should be listening consistently, is that Daniel selected share as the winner. And the reason why it stuck with me so much is because you said, and I'll never forget this. You okay. were like, I love the idea of share having an Oscar and I completely understood what you meant by that statement. And I was like, I know what you mean by that. And I totally get that. And I totally love that. And like, I never, even if Lady Gaga wasn't competing with Glenn, I was mm -hmm. never really in love with the idea of Oscar winner for best actress, Lady Gaga. 
Like mm-hmm. I was never invested in the concept, but mm-hmm. I just, there's, there's something about Cher having an Oscar that is so badass. That is just so radical and so cool. Okay, well then let me ask you this. This is like this is a gay equivalent question. This okay. is like my follow-up, but I mean I I'm also just assuming you have an opinion on this and if you don't uh, fine. But my follow-up question is how do you feel um that Bette Midler doesn't have an Oscar? Bette Midler was nominated for The Boys and, and the Wild uh, for Rose. The Rose. The right. Rose. Yeah. Where she basically Rose. plays Janice Joplin, even though it's never mentioned or referred to by name. Who I can't remember. I think it was seventy nine or eighty. I can't remember who beat out Bet for the Rose. Um, for the oh, boys. it was uh, you like me. You really like me. Oh, um, Sally Field. Sally Field. Places in the heart. Uh, hmm. <laughs> but nobody. I think it was different because at that moment in Bet's career nobody felt like she was owed something right so i think it was i think the circumstances were different for for the boys uh for the boys is a great movie it was not a financial success it was a big very very expensive very public flop at the box office that year but Mm -hmm. that year uh that that could have won for for the boys that was a stacked year because it was jodie foster for a silence of the lambs yep uh uh, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, who probably cancels each other out for Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. Laura Dern for Rambling Rose, which is a great movie, but sort of has fallen by the wayside in in the intervening years. Um, oh, uh, Diane Ladd was in that movie with her, and that was one of sure. the first. That was one of the. F- I think it was the first movie where a daughter and a mother were nominated for acting in a movie and being nominated at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was 19. Yes, it was. It actually was Sally Field for Norma Ray, okay. actually. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a big deal. If it was the first one, if it was for Places in the Heart, then it's a little bit more debatable. But no. I think Sally Field winning for Norma Ray was an iconic win. Um, mm-hmm. I think that can be a tremendous actress. I don't feel like she needs an Oscar. I don't know. And I've seen and I've seen both of those performances, and they're both very. Mm. Even though she sings in both of those movies, they're very different performances, and they show a substantial range on Bette's part. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But I don't know for for the story of Bette Midler as this entertainer and this icon. I don't know if Bette having an Oscar completes anything. Yeah, that's fair. Bette having having a Tony for Hello Dolly tells a story which I'm yeah. very interested in. I don't yeah. know if Bet having an Oscar, if we need it for the Bet Midler experience. I was just curious how you, how I just, I, cause I thought, I just thought about that whole, I love the idea of sharing, of yeah. share having an Oscar. So I was, I was curious how you would feel but it's, about that. But it's cool because even though, again, even though she plays singers in both of those Oscar nominated performances, I think mm-hmm. putting those two up against each other shows a tremendous range on Bet's behalf. Oh, 100%. Um, Getting back to this year with Marianne Cotillard's win. Uh, Now, this was the first time that a French actress won for a leading role. Mm -hmm. And um, the best picture that year, No Country for Old Men. Best actor, Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood. I'm an oil man. Best Supporting Actor went to Javier Javier Bardem for No Country for Old Men. And Best Supporting Actress went to... Actually, Best Supporting Actor went to Javier Bardem's haircut in No Country for Old Men. Yes, the bowl! I know, it was so weird. Like, the bob. And then Best Supporting Actress went to Tilda Swinton for Michael Clayton. That's that's another badass win. Oh, of course. And the fact that she showed up in what's basically a reconstituted hefty garbage bag to accept the roster (laughs) makes it even more badass. I think it's awesome. I I am all there for Tilda. I saw the remake of Suspiria. I literally am like, I get it. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. And it yeah. does kind of, um, you know, upset me that she wasn't uh, nominated and celebrated more because she is very odd and I'm always rooting for the odd person. Uh, but I will say that I have actually never seen No Country for Old Men. I haven't seen it since it came out. I didn't connect to it when I had first seen it. I, okay, um, but, yeah, I but, figured, yeah. But sometimes with the Coen brothers, you need repeated exposure to their movies because they're so personal and because they're so quirky. Um, so I'm willing to give it a second chance. Fair enough. I feel like I should probably check it out. 
Um, but I have this new thing that's uh, since I've been doing this podcast, yeah, yeah. I don't like going back to movies that feature Oscar nominees um, for women because I'm like, fuck, that's just a podcast episode. I'm going to have to rewatch this movie. I just sure. recently watched Notes on a Scandal with Judi Dench and Kate Blanchett. I like and I like to call that movie Dames Gone Wild. Yeah, that's just a that's a big old yikes. Yeah. That movie is. I is, love that movie. It's so much fun. It's I agree. So much fun. I agree. It. I. Anyway, that's a different podcast episode. So maybe you yeah. and I could do uh, that as an episode. Oh, that. and that was the Jennifer Hudson year. That would be a that <laughs> that that year would be a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Okay. Well then, then yeah, we'll yeah. have you back to do that one. Oh my um, god. So let's just go ahead and jump right into our first nominee. So I want to talk about Kate Blanchett reprising her role as Elizabeth I in Elizabeth the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. So, gotta say right out the bat, um, I'm always floored at how good she is at doing accents. It is insane, because she's Australian, and her transition from the first movie, which I've seen like a bazillion times, mm-hmm. to this movie, I've seen Elizabeth Golden Age, I think I've probably seen it like two or three times, I had to watch it in history class, I watched I, it once independently. I had you never know. seen it up until two days ago. Okay, so just, what are your initial thoughts about the movie? The second one we're talking about, right? The second okay. one. Um, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. It mm. is incredibly silly, but because the level of commitment is so high, um, and it's just you could you could probably watch it on mute and get the same effect as listening <laughs> to the dialogue. Because I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's it's ridiculous and it plays fast and loose with chronology and history, but it doesn't matter because it's just this like very entertaining bodice ripper. I don't think I, I think I think if Kate okay. would have won Best Actress, it would have been a little bit of a garbage win because she doesn't mm-hmm. because she doesn't have that much to do in the movie when it's all said and done. Um, mm. I think Clive Owen is smoldering. Oh my god! Which you sometimes forget now that mm-hmm. it's now that it's sort of been a few years. Um, oh, I never forget. <laughs> but, but he does. He's on my handsome. He's on my handsome devil hot list. And he so. doesn't. And the thing about him is that he doesn't lift a finger. He doesn't. All he needs to do is show up, mm-hmm. and and he has that effect on 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 its audience. Um, well. In the first movie, though, that was Joseph Fiennes. And in this one, it's like basically Clive Owen is there like waiting in the shadows being sexy. I remember seeing the first Elizabeth for my first time at the South Common Mall in Mississauga on this little, you know, 40 inch multiplex Dollarama screen. Um, Okay, stop bragging. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. I know that we're all dealing with, you know, with a lot right now. Um, But having, you know, and I had at that point nobody knew who kate was nobody had seen her in anything um and it no, that really, was her first yeah that was her first big she beat out meryl for that role yeah 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 um and it was i mean it, it was a star is born you couldn't take her eyes off of her and i don't mm-hmm. think i don't think kate is giving is given anything special to do in this movie um she she doesn't Agreed. she doesn't have any big defining scenes she doesn't have any terrific monologues um She's great. The movie's ridiculous, but it's a ton of fun. You know, I gotta say, actually, um, I don't, I don't know if I agree with you, just because um, when I watch the movie as a technical performance, as a costume design, as a technical production, yes, 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 Oscar bait a thousand times, um, but the movie itself, in my opinion, uh, kind of boring. It just didn't have that sort of like oh my god of the first movie because i've i've i have independently watched the first movie many 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 times sure and this is one of the first times that a woman was nominated for the same role in a different movie more than once and you know frankly um uh i had done i had done uh the episode with uh where gwyneth paltrow won the year where uh kate kate blanchett lost and basically Well, it basically came down to Fernanda Montenegro and um, Kate Blanchett, realistically, or who those two contenders would have been. And frankly, I I thought Kate Blanchett should have won. And when I uh, that was that was my selection for that episode. But I just have to say that Kate Blanchett in the first one, it I feel like the script failed her because she was still bringing that 
powerhouse Elizabeth the first. Cause again, this is a, this is a character in history. We don't, we don't have anything to compare it to. I mean, Betty Davis did it like in the forties and in the fifties, but again, that's an interpretation, but the way that Kate Blanchett does it, it's so modern, but still like classic and also technical. And she was such a badass. And you're like, I feel like the script failed her a little bit because oh, sure. I, I don't. I thought the movie was boring. Yeah, That's all I'm saying. I, I thought the movie was. Boring. I don't. I don't mean. I don't mean to convey that I think that Elizabeth the Golden Age is a good movie, Kyle, because it's not. But right. it is. <laughs> it's a fun movie. It is a. It is an enjoyable movie without it being of any substance. I have. I whenever I watch these movies, I I made a little note, and I basically one of the notes that I wrote is I said that Kate carried this movie because I truly had zero interest in any of the characters and was mostly focusing on Clive Owen's hot bod and hoping for a shirtless for sure, scene. I was and then also, I put a star next to that. But I was I was very very happy, and I don't see her nearly enough. I was very happy to see Samantha Morton as Mary Queen of Scots. Oh my God! Remember whenever she was yeah. in. What was that? The Minority Report? Like, she was everywhere in the early 2000s, in the mid-2000s. Yeah. She was ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think maybe she went back to work in the UK to be closer to a family. Um, sure. But she doesn't She doesn't seem to be nearly as ubiquitous these days in American products. I think most recently, I remember uh, that she was replaced as the voice in her by Scarlett Johansson, the Spike Jones movie. Mm. Where, where he falls in love with the the Siri device, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they had uh, recorded and filmed the entire movie with Samantha Morton's voice, and then in post oh. she was replaced with Scarlett. Yikes! Yeah, yeah. And um, I do want to. Mm-hmm. No, just that's that's sort of the last big American thing that I remember Samantha Morton being attached to. Well, that's kind of shitty for her because she's a great actor. And I love that. I love, love, love that you just brought her up because I actually one of the things that I found about this movie is the relationship between Mary, Queen of Scots and Elizabeth, I felt was the more compelling and interesting story. And they tried to do that with Margot Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan, but it just really didn't land. I watched it and I was bored. And I do know that I think sometime in the 90s there was a Mary and Elizabeth movie in development for Glenn and Merrill, which never happened. Can you imagine? I know. I'm like trying to picture it now. I'm like excited about it. (laughs) I think think Glenn would be Mary and Merrill would be Elizabeth, but I could flip a coin. Well, that's probably why they considered her for the role for Elizabeth whenever that did finally come out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do, I really, I felt like Kate played this character flawlessly. Again, she's such a powerhouse. She's such a badass. I believe her. And um, it, it really was just like a tour de force of acting, such technical skill. I just kind of feel like the script failed her a little bit. And unfortunately, it like really hurt her chances for an actual win. Yeah. And it's, and even though I, and I remember at the time being livid that Gwyneth, one over Kate for Shakespeare in Love. But mm-hmm. retrospectively, I'm very happy with the performances that Kate actually did win for. I love and I know oh it's I know it's not fashionable to say, but like I love her work. I love her work in Blue Jasmine. Do the the scene that I will never forget from that is like She's like, I mean, who do you have to screw around here for a Stolly Martini with a twisted lemon? And like that line just stuck with me because I was like, that is so specific. But yeah, um, and she has, no, the, she, and she has, the, I agree, and she has this knack that I think only to, that only Tony Collette may have, where they can get on film right. and they can be gigantic and they could be theatrical mm-hmm. and they could mm-hmm. be playing to the second balcony, but everything is rooted in truth. And yeah, I can't absolutely. and I can't think of too many contemporary actors outside of those two that can actually do that. That can be gigantic I, and truthful at the same time. No, and I agree with that. And um just talking about, you know, the golden age specifically, the one scene for me that was like, holy shit. When she was giving that monologue, when she's on the horse and she's trying to like motivate her soldiers, and she's kind of like pulling the horse like back and forth. Listen, or it's like or it's like cut from Braveheart. Yeah, well, a hundred percent. Delete a DVD scene from Braveheart. Sure, a hundred percent. You're like, are you Mel Gibson? Literally, when I was watching that scene, I was like, holy shit! Because she's in character, she's doing the accent, she's delivering the lines, and she's fucking managing a horse at the same time. It's like that 
for me when I watched that, I was like, that is acting. Mm-hmm. That is so real. And that for me was like the scene. Yeah. And not to veer uh too off track, but I had just finished watching Mrs. America, the FX miniseries where she plays Phyllis Schlafly, yep. sort of the yep. you know, the demon, uh the hell demon who almost tanked the NR uh the NRA. <laughs> the uh the, e- the ERA. Still going strong. Um yeah. But that like the work that she does in Mrs. America is so small and so subtle and so specific. And when you put it up against some, something like, you know, her work in the Elizabeth movies, it's, it's such a contrast. It's such a range. hundred percent. Um, if you are good, we can discuss our next nominee. Yeah. I mean, there's not too much to say about this movie. I had fun, mm-hmm. but I'm already like, I saw, again, I saw it two days ago and I'm already forgetting it. I I don't I don't disagree with you on that. I know what you mean. It's literally I just I my whole thing from that movie. My takeaway was I just feel like the script failed her um, because she is a powerhouse. Um, okay, so I want to talk about let's talk about Ellen Page in Juno, Do we have which her? I mean I'm just gonna say that the last time that I watched this movie, I was a teenager, and then when I watched it as an adult and considered it, I actually had a very different opinion about the movie. How did teenage Kyle enjoy Juno? I couldn't, I just couldn't connect with it, and I just found it to be even when you were, so even when you were a teenager, you didn't care for this movie? I did not care for this movie, but watching it as an adult, well, first, first opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, it's Ellen Page at her most Ellen Page. It's sure. just Ellen Page being sure. Ellen Page. Like she kind of is Juno and she's always been Juno and she always kind of plays Juno a little bit. Um, I mean, even if you saw um, Tales from the City, like the remake on Netflix, it's like there's which just I like a don't, Which I don't recommend. And really? I, oh, I, loved I, it. I loved love it. I love Armistead Maupin and I love the original series. Uh, mm. I would recommend the flashback episode and I would recommend the dinner party scene with the old gays versus the young gays, but I would not. I would not recommend the watching the entire series. I disagree with you, but I will say that the flashback episode I've probably watched like eight times just because I'm in love with the cop. Yeah, I think I think that flashback episode is beautifully handled, and I love yeah. the dinner party conflict. Um, mm. But I, I could not get behind that series. Well, you know, I mean, fair enough. But just talking about Juno, though, it's literally like I'm always very aware that I'm watching Ellen Page. And then when I was watching this, it was like Ellen Page at her most Ellen Page. But I actually it it sounds like I'm like reading her. But I mean, that actually is a compliment. It was just this insanely quirky, interesting performance. And frankly, I don't think anybody else could have done this role other than Ellen Page. I disagree. Okay. I disagree. First of, ugh, um, <laughs> I, I was underwhelmed by Juno when it came out originally. I, okay. I used to work at TIFF, and Ju- when Juno came out, it broke the festival. People yeah. went crazy for this movie, and September to December turned out to be just like this mass, like among cultural people, it just turned out to be this like mass anticipation waiting for the movie to be commercially released. Right. Um, and I didn't see it at the festival, and I only saw it during the commercial release around Christmas time. Um, and I was very underwhelmed seeing it the first time. Um, and watching it again in light of certain things that are happening with our culture, I just find it tone deaf. I find everything in the movie just strikes the wrong note. And I think it's a blueprint for the incredible work that Diablo Cody would go on to do. uh, Because I I love young adult and I love Tully. um, And you could sort of see the bones in Juno for something better. um, But I think Diablo just needed a couple years to get there. And I think on screen, Ellen Page can be quirky and she can be intelligent, but I don't think her work in Juno hinted at any kind of greater depth that could have saved the movie for me. See, that's really interesting. I mean, just talking about Diablo Cody, because she won the Oscar for this, but yeah. like Young Adult and um, Tully, they were really not celebrated. I mean, the performances were, but really that was kind of it. Yeah, I think, I, I and and the, both of those movies are a hard sell. Um, but but personally, I I love Young Adult. I love that movie and too. I think, it's, I think it's my favorite Charlize. Oh, it's Monster. Fair. I'm not. That's gonna, the best I'm not going to fight you. 
I'm okay. not going to that now. No. Um, but talking about Juno, though, you know, I actually, I have never, I will never, I don't, I never did understand the Michael Sarah train. Um, I have no problem with Michael Sarah. Uh, I never, I don't think I need to see him as a leading man for anything. Mm-hmm. But anytime he pops up in a quirky supporting capacity, I'm always for it. And I'm for George Michael. For George Michael. For George Michael Bluth, yeah. Well, I I definitely, listen, just talking about this performance, I mean, I frankly found it compelling for the time. I love how decisive she is. I love how she kind of just like makes up her own mind and she faces the consequences, she faces all of her consequences like with integrity and actually, frankly, fearlessness. And um, I actually really liked this character. And the first time that I saw this movie when I was a teenager, I kind of just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And then watching it as an adult, um, I kind of feel like I understood it a little bit more. And I um, really liked it a lot. But I just really could have done without Michael Sarah. I truly felt he was dead weight in the movie. My big problem with Juno, which is something that I personally can just never get over, is that... I find abortion is treated with such flippancy and such Uh casualness. And that scene where she runs into her schoolmate who's protesting abortion in front of the clinic and and just sort of laughs it off and scoffs it off. um, I sort of feel like the movie never recovers from that. Well, like, what do you mean? Like, it doesn't recover because we're all haunted by the abortion scene? Or, like, what do you mean? Because the movie treats abortion as something so casual and something so insignificant. Okay. Okay, I mean, that's definitely... And even at the time when when there wasn't such a raging battle against Republicans and against conservatism, um, even then, even in 2007, I found that uh, those early scenes struck such a wrong note that they just left a bad taste in my mouth for whatever happened later. All right. Well, that's yeah. definitely something and interesting. Also, to- my favorite part of Juno was Jennifer Garner's performance. And I wanted, I, I, too. I totally wanted that movie to be about that character. You know, I love to, he- I always love to hear sort of like different perspectives and different opinions just because like, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I kind of was more into Juno and I could do without the characters, mm-hmm. but I could kind of see that because yeah, like you're right. Like it was really her, this was like her moment and she's been trying her whole life for the one thing that she's always wanted and it just never worked out. Yeah. So yeah, it is and a I think, story. And, and the fact that, you know, she doesn't end up with Bateman at the end of the movie. Like I was way more interested in that character's journey than I was in, uh, than I was in Ellen Page. Hmm. I actually, um, always kind of forget that Allison Janney was like in oh every God. movie for a long time. Well, not for a long like, time. She- Allison Janney is still in every movie. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, she's in a lot of TV shows and movies, like, throughout the 90s yeah. and the 2000s and the early 2000s. Like, she was in The Help, and she was in this, and she was and in West Wing. And I don't know where she finds the time, because Alice and Janney is also always in a long-running TV show that shoots 24 episodes a year. So I yeah. don't know where this superwoman finds the time to make 16 movies a year as well. I know it's actually kind of crazy and she always has like it's kind of interesting it's just that because you mentioned Tony Collette earlier it's like there's always like an actor where it's like they're kind of like this ridiculous chameleon and people just don't celebrate them the way that they celebrate like Meryl Streep for example and I feel like Tony Collette is like kind of one of those people oh absolutely and also the thing with Allison Janney is whatever she is selling I am automatically buying yeah yeah no fair enough um I hated Jason Bates. I hated Jason Bateman in this movie. Um, I hated how creepy he was. I mean, she was underage. And what I hate is that in 2007, that was fully stomachable. And yeah. it was like, oh, well, he's a man. And I you're mean, just that's like, the thing. I also think that Juno might be a direct result of the Napoleon Dynamite fallout because. Right. Like, I remember uh, when Napoleon Dynamite came out, I was still a I was still a young, a young up and comer, a young up and coming actor. And I mm. would get sent to. Every commercial TV film audition I got sent on in that period when I was in my mid-20s, the directive was always Napoleon Dynamite. Do it like Napoleon Dynamite. No emotion. Super sarcastic. Super outside. Super ironic. And I think that sentiment carried into something like Juno, which really kept me personally at bay from this movie. 
Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would definitely rewatch this movie. I loved Ellen Page's performance. And frankly, I understand why she was celebrated as much as she was uh, just because I hated this movie when I was a teenager and watching it with like fresh eyes as an adult and not like a stupid kid. I actually I loved know. it. I didn't like it. I didn't like it in 2007 and I really didn't like it now. Um, and I like Ellen Page. I think um, I think Ellen Page's best work is as an out queer celebrity. I don't think it's as mm-hmm. an actress. I'm never invested in her performances, but I'm always invested in what she has to say about the world. That's very well. She was nominated for an Emmy for the uh, Gaycation series that she did Which with is like terrific. one of her friends. It's so yeah, cool. yeah. I I don't know. I um. I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like she really shines whenever she's kind of just playing that like sarcastic, like kind of character, that sarcastic kind of girl. I not like sarcastic, but just sort of like sure of herself, decisive character. Yeah, but I just, I needed somebody in that role to hint at a hidden depth. And Ellen's work in the movie just didn't, didn't do anything but scratch the surface for me. Even though she's intelligent and quirky and funny and watchable and likable and all of these good qualities, um, I never felt that there was anything deeper going on with this character. Um, all right, I I love that, and I I love that you I love that you kind of okay because I, <laughs> I just because like I don't I don't agree with you, and and I kind of just like but that. That's like why we're can, here. That's why no, we're exactly. Doing I yeah. yeah, no, I I I love that. But if you are good, we can talk about our next nominee. Unless you have anything more that you want to add, I don't want to think about Juno any more than I have to. So <laughs> let's, let's Fair go. enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so let's jump into Julie Christie away from her. So this do we have? This do we do we have to? I don't want to. Yeah. Well, this movie, this movie, um, I've actually, I've never even heard of before. I had never seen it. And it actually was filmed around Kitchener yeah. and Paris, Ontario. Um, and it was filmed in a far off country called Canada. Oh and um, oh Julie Christie actually won the Screen Actors Guild Award and she won the Golden Globe. And she really, and I remember leading up to the, uh, leading up to the Oscars, Julie Christie really was the favorite to win. See, that's interesting because Marianne Cotillard won the Golden Globe she, and she won the BAFTA. Yeah. But there's, so, always, there's always this hesitancy with foreign language performances that very few people can crack. Yes. Um, and Julie Christie she was, was sort of this yeah. icon in the 60s and 70s. And this was this. And she doesn't. And I, uh, she's also a bit of a recluse. So this was sort of like a big moment for her. Mm. Um, so leading up to the ceremony, Julie Christie was sort of the expected winner. Well, because the last episode when we were talking about Moonstruck with Cher, so Olympia Dukakis was in that movie for a supporting role, and then Olympia Dukakis was in this movie. And don't and get I was me like, wrong, I there's <laughs> no thing as too much Olympia Dukakis. I love her. I get no tells from the city. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so one part of the movie that I I that like really struck a chord with me is whenever um her husband finds her on the bridge and he's like hello there and then she says it back but then like it's almost like she doesn't know who he is at first that scene the way that she does it and the way that she says hello there back almost like she doesn't know him it was such a subtle tiny little thing but it had such an impact to the story where it was like oh something has changed and it was just two lines I just- and that's crazy I just, I really did not like this movie. <laughs> I, and I like Sarah Polly, and I like Alice Monroe, and I like Julie Christie. This movie was a big, heavy Canadian slog. This hmm. was like, this felt like a CBC movie from 1994 that everybody just forgot existed. A little bit. I got that vibe as well. There was no pacing. I knew not. I by the end of it, I knew nothing about their relationship. I knew nothing about how they would function as a couple. Um, I didn't think Gordon Pins. God forgive me. God strike me down. I didn't. Think, I didn't think his performance was endowed with anything special. Nobody oh. in the movie was fighting for anything. And I think there have been much, much better movies about. Um, what Alzheimer's does to a person. No, but Gordon Pinsent's expression 
did not change the entire film at once. It was like working with Frankenstein. Like he literally did not move his face once. And I thought Julie Christie was good. And I thought she did a great job of conveying the degenerative aspects of the disease. But the movie is, and I didn't know this before I saw it. The movie is so much his story. The movie is so much his story and how he reacts and how he responds to all, uh, to his wife's Alzheimer's. So I I felt like it wasn't really a showcase for Julie Christie's talents. Mm. Like you're saying that she was almost like a supporting character? Yeah. Yeah. I really That's didn't feel like it was her story front and center. See, you know what? That's actually that's very interesting because I I hadn't even really I hadn't even really thought of it that way, but I actually would agree with that. You're right because it really is from his perspective and frankly, he's the least interesting part of the story. And there's no drive. You don't get to see what drives him, what motivates him, what he's fighting for, even in his scenes with Olympia and that relationship more than any relationship in the movie sort of changes and evolves and starts off one place and ends in a different one. Even that there's no real dynamics to it. There's no Mm -hmm. real colors or shading to it. Um, And I mean, this is why I struggle with Canadian content. I want to like it. I want to find stuff that I can connect with that's made in Canada. And I was really hopeful when I started watching this movie a couple days ago. And there was just nothing I could latch onto. And I was like, oh, this is just another heavy, bleak, serious Canadian story. Well, I mean, but there were some moments, though. I mean, whenever she was trying to remember who she was and who her husband was, and then she starts crying. Like, I found that extremely hard to watch, and I thought that was extremely well done, and it was extremely well acted. Um, there's a there's a Judy Dench movie called Iris from the early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, plays, no, I know that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where she plays Iris Murdoch, and I find that um, everything that this movie tries to do, Iris does better because it's also about a woman with Alzheimer's. And and even if you compare it to Still Alice, you know, I well, I, I don't don't get me started on Still Alice either. Okay, so you just hate the Alzheimer's movies. <laughs> You're like, you know what? I mean, don't I, I do hate Alzheimer's. You know, as a, as a person who have had family members with Alzheimer's, I do hate Alzheimer's. Um, but I think it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to dramatize in a movie. And Iris is sort of the only example I could think of that really gets it right. Okay, well then let me ask you this. Do you feel like maybe because you have a personal experience with those kinds of uh, diseases that can basically just envelop an entire family, watching this movie, you're resentful toward the performance because you're like, no, you have no idea? Uh, no, no, because no, I was just left dry-eyed because there wasn't there wasn't anything personal in the way that the story in a way for her was told that i could latch onto there was nothing in this movie for me to emotionally connect with everything was fine and polite and heavy and canadian well julie christie is a very celebrated i mean she's an oscar nominee she won in 1966 yeah. for darling she's she an was icon and deservedly so and she's also yeah, she was- and she's also radiant Oh yeah, like she's she, gorgeous. She glows, and not and not in sort of a and, and not in sort of a fake way or in sort of a sexy way. She just like she glows when she's on screen. But I connected with her performance. I connected with her character. I do agree with you that it definitely got like the CBC treatment. Yeah, and maybe that's um, what I just can't get past. I agree. I fully agree with you because they were definitely recycling a bunch of like Canadian actors that and were I, in it, like the hospital manager yeah. there. Oh, Wendy! The, I'm I'm always here for Wendy Crewson. I am always yeah. I, I am always here for Kristen Thompson as the nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if people listen who don't know, Kristen Thompson is another Canadian icon. Um, she won the uh, Actra Award for Best Supporting Actress for that movie. Good for her. Good for her. Yeah. Well deserved. Um, yeah. But I think maybe if the movie was told from Julie Christie's perspective and you actually got to see her falling in love with this person in the nursing home and he got to see her fall apart day by day, then maybe it would have touched me. Um, mm-hmm. But this was this just fell flat for me and I didn't want it to. But just in terms of like her performance specifically, like just in terms of her performance specifically. The performance was good, but because of the way the movie was told, it was never front and center enough. 
Yeah, I it for me this movie had its moments. I cried here, I cried there, but I do kind of agree with you that when I was finished the movie, I was like, well, I'm not going to watch that again. Yeah, and I'm not going to remember it. Like I Yeah, saw, no, I like, agree with like you. Like I saw Iris, which is ironic. <laughs> I, I saw Iris. Oh my god. That's very ironic. <laughs> I, like, I saw I saw Iris almost 20 years ago when it came out and I haven't seen it since, but there are still parts of the movie that I hold with. Ex- yes. You know? No, I fully agree with you. Frankly, I feel like if Gordon um, Pinsent wasn't such a corpse in this movie, yeah. I feel like it probably would have uh, been elevated. And I fully agree with you. She had the more interesting perspective and it, it really should have been told from her point of view, that, not from his. That having been said, Gordon Pinsent's IMDb picture is badass. I need to see it. <laughs> look up, look up Gordon Pinsett on IMDb, and he is the most amazing profile picture. He looks like he's like flexing, and he just got out of the gym, or yeah. like what? And he has the cigar, but he's in a show. Okay, no, that he looks, he's, he looks weird. It's like he's he weird. It's like it's like he just finished filming the Charles Bronson story. <laughs> no, it uh, just I, I, fucking awesome. I don't. I don't know. I um, hope I okay. hope I hope he chose that himself, and it wasn't some agent to make him look younger. Oh, hope, you know he chose I that himself. I hope he did. He's like wearing like a muscle shirt in the shower with a cigar, and he's literally That's just like, amazing. yeah. Truth, but he still has that same facial expression from this movie. Truth, like, there's nothing. Truth strange. to power, Gordon pins it. Truth to power. <laughs> um. Uh, okay. Sorry. You, if you have anything else to add, we can move to our next nominee. I'm very excited about our next nominee. It's the reason for the season. Okay, so let's talk about some Laura Linney in The Savages. Kyle, I fucking love this movie so much. That's funny because for the last two movies that I loved and you hated, I hate this movie and you love this movie. After after my first podcast with you, when you asked me to pick a year for a second podcast, I picked this year just so I could talk about this performance in this movie. Okay, I love this movie. That's really interesting. So, okay, well, first of all, the opening scene with, like, the shit on the wall, like, yum, 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 and Arizona. That's how you do degenerative diseases in seniors. That's how you right. do it. <laughs> Putting shit on the wall. Where smearing, where was the shit on the wall? Smearing your shit on the wall. That's how you do it. You know exactly what's up. Within the first well, five minutes of this movie, you know exactly what you're dealing with. Well, I find it very interesting because she wasn't nominated for the Golden Globe or the BAFTA, but Laura Linney's character uh, of all of these characters in the movie, well, except for Marianne Cotillard, which we will get to, is kind of the person that really demonstrated the most change from start to finish. Absolutely. For sure. And I kind of feel like that's kind of weird that she wasn't nominated for anything else. This movie, and it's frustrating because I think this movie should be acknowledged for the classic that it is. Um, But this was such a small, and I remember because this was, again, this was uh, while I was working at the festival. So it was all this, like all of these movies I was sort of exposed to in the same two weeks in September. Um, But this movie came out and it really didn't make a ripple. So the fact that Laura Linney got an Oscar nomination for this role was a massive achievement because this was mm-hmm. a movie that pretty much nobody was paying attention to at the time. I feel like watching this movie, though, it took me a solid 45, a solid 55 to get into the movie and to truly give a shit just because I believe the dynamic with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney as siblings. And I think that that's a very difficult thing in terms of chemistry when you're acting to, I believed it, but and there's, and there's still a small handful of movies that really explore that dynamic with adult siblings. Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to see that relationship a ton in, in movies. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh no. Well, I, I just, you know, I basically, um, I, didn't find her story compelling for a giant chunk of the movie, but it did eventually get me, but I will say that it took too long. And I feel like that's kind of annoying because when, when she's introduced, it's like, you know, she's dramatic and she makes things up and she's having an affair with a married man. And you're like, well, you're a flawed person. And I, I, I love how she's clearly, you know, like lying about like getting like these grants and like, I love that she's an extremely flawed person. And like, as you continue throughout the movie, you know, she kind of, 
like gets called out on it and she's a very like I believe her as like a real person that exists and I think that that is a very hard thing to do however is it an interesting thing that I can watch two hours worth no I watch this movie about once a year wow I've seen it a ton of times it triggers something in me that is so deep and so primal and so profound and i feel and even though it's a movie about you know small people living small lives and and making little tiny minute decisions on the day-to-day um i think this movie does things in a certain way that to me feel a little bit revolutionary why like why is this a movie that resonates with you, you so much that you want to watch once almost year? never get to see a movie about mid-career artists who don't figure their shit out until later in life because Mm -hmm. we're so used we're so used to the narrative of the child prodigies of the up-and-comers of of the people who sort of hit it in their 20s and you very Mm -hmm. rarely and you know in the movie the laurel linney character the laurel linney character is a playwright who just sort of can't get it together and and can't get a leg up and you know and by the end of the movie she's really figuring her shit out but Mm -hmm. she's 40 and you rarely you almost never see that kind of trajectory in a movie and to me as as an artist who you know, I sometimes work. Most of the time I don't. I mm-hmm. sometimes feel great about the stuff I put out. Most of the time I feel like a failure. You sort of- <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, yeah but right. You, you sort of never see that that recognition with somebody who's sort of midlife and mid-career. And that meant a lot to me. Um, and also the way this movie mm-hmm. handles abuse within the family is so subtle and so beautifully done because Philip, Bo- and I also think Philip Bosco, who plays the dad, was also robbed of a Best Supporting Actor nomination that year. I think he's magnificent in a very tough role. I think he was nominated for the BAFTA, actually, Maybe. or the Golden Globe. He was nominated for something, or the SAG, like, you know what I mean? Like He was Philip nominated Bosco. for something. Philip Bosco, who played your boss in every single 1980s movie. Right. Like yes. he, you know, working. He's he's always playing a like a Wall Street tycoon. Um, but right. the fact that you know them, you you know that he was an abusive father on some level to these two uh, to these two siblings, but you don't exactly know why. But the mm-hmm. history is so specific, so you don't, as an audience member, you don't need to. It was real. It was a real performance. It was a real story. I believed that they were real. And I love that you just said that whole thing about like the mid-career 40-year-old woman. Because you know what? That's actually, that is that is very true. And I did not even really think about that. And you bringing that to my attention, it definitely does make me appreciate um, the performance and the nomination a little bit more. Yeah. However, what it really just comes down to with me is that I did not connect with the material. And I just frankly found a lot of it quite boring and um the one thing that i loved about the movie was whenever she's looking for that pillow that she bought for her father and oh, then that that is my favorite part and when i watched that i was like that it was it was a very interesting but also, scene who hasn't found a stray percocet in somebody else's medicine cabinet and right stuffed <laughs> it in their bag for later who who among us has not done it if you if you tell me i haven't done it you are lying or if you haven't done it you're gonna do it you're, because it's like that's a good idea do it oh <laughs> And and uh, the other thing I do want to add is that Philip Seymour Hoffman was the only celebrity death that I actually cried at when I found out that he had died because yeah. and I mean it was so tragic because he was an addict but the fact that we were deprived of another couple of decades of his work is just yeah is just such, and I never care about the men like I only care about the ladies Bill can attest to it um, but the fact that we don't get another few decades out of out of Philip Seymour Hoffman is just wrenching to me. I kind of felt that way about, well, a combination of River Phoenix and Heath Ledger, actually. Oh, Heath Ledger. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was like, you are such a powerhouse and like, you really are like a chameleon and it's really sad that that's gone. But I, cause I watched Capote um, recently actually, and Capote is not at all what I thought it was about. Oh because- no, not at all. Well, if anybody listens to this podcast, they would they would know I don't like to watch movie trailers. And, Capo- I like and to- Capote isn't a biopic. It makes you think it's a biopic, but it's not. And no, no, not at all. It is. It is 
And when I watched the movie, I literally was like, why is he talking like that? And then I actually looked up the guy and I literally was like, oh, that's actually how like this is a flaw. Like this was an amazing performance. He was. Yeah, he was. He was an amazing, an amazing actor. Um, I also I think Laura Linney is a very easy person to overlook because she never plays it big. She never. um, Yeah. Her work is always so subtle and, and so specific that I think, I think in terms of awards races and award season, uh, her work is always very, very easy to sort of brush past. No, I agree with you. I mean, she's been nominated three times and she's never won, but she is clearly um, extremely deserving and capable. She's a fucking master. And I don't think, and I haven't seen Ozark yet. And I know that people like Ozark has been the quarantine binge for a lot of people. um, Mm. So I personally haven't seen it. Uh, But I, every time I see Laura Linney do work like this, I'm like, we don't deserve her. You know, actually, my favorite performance by Laura Linney that always sticks in my mind is The Nanny Diaries with with Scarlett Johansson. I've never seen it. Is it good? I love her in that movie because there's one scene where she talks about, like, as this privileged white woman, like, what she's going to do with her day. And she's like, is Gray home? Because I was hoping to get in a quick shop before lunch. And, like, just the way she speaks is, like... It's like always inconvenienced white woman, but she does it like in such an interesting way where you don't hate her. Because she plays the truth. And that's the thing. And and even in this movie, even though the character of Wendy is pretty sympathetic, she still does like you referenced the pillow scene. She still does stuff in this movie or like um, kissing the nurse. She does stuff in this movie that is really selfish and really opportunistic. But you still sort of feel emotionally invested because she does it from such a place of truth. I feel like she was probably, uh, other than Marianne Cotillard, probably one of the most fleshed out characters and the most realistic. And I wonder, um, I know there was one Oscar ceremony where Laura Linney unfortunately made the choice to wear cornrows to the ceremony. Oh, no. <laughs> and I don't, I don't remember what year it was, but I wonder if it was this year. I hope not. I have never even heard about this. Yeah. Laura Linney cornrows. I'm like Googling There, there was one year where she very unfortunately cornrowed her hair to the Oscars. God. But I don't, I don't remember what year it was. Oh, well, I'm not. Okay. Well, no pictures are coming up, but I'm going to take your word for that. That's fucked. Yeah. Um, well, I know that this this was your this was your performance. Frankly, I don't have anything else to add to it other than what I had said about this performance. Um, I just. Uh, Tamara Jenkins is so funny because she makes a movie like every decade. Um, Mm -hmm. Like she made the savages in 2007 and her very next movie was private life for Netflix, which was last year. Right. So she makes these brilliant movies, but she makes us wait a decade in between them. I don't know. I just like, I don't really know if I need to wait that long. Uh, Yeah. Um, And also Kyle (laughs) to you, I would say, give it give it some time because you might pick up this movie in five years or ten years uh and it might resonate with you differently i feel like i feel like you're like because your career is going nowhere uh that's like, not, no. what I said. not what i said <laughs> Man, your, your career is going somewhere i mean somewhere nobody in in these times that nobody in the arts has a career that's going anywhere right now but true you're we are in canada <laughs> we are, as, we are as, canada. as away from her so ruthlessly reminded us we are in canada uh, okay, well then, if you are good, let's talk about the winner of the 2008 Academy Awards ceremony, uh, Miss Marianne Cotillard. Sure, man. So um, this was for the movie La Vie en Rose, which um, was actually the North American name, and the movie is actually called La Mum, which in French means the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Marianne Cotillard became the first French actress to actually win an Academy Award for Best Actress for a French language performance and she is one of the few people to win oscars for a different language and actually robert de niro for the godfather 2 is also one of the few because he did it in italian and i did not know that until i watched it yeah i don't yeah yeah, very interesting. This movie, this is a, I guess, sort of a dramatized biopic of um, Edith Piaf. And, uh, you know, she famously sang Le Vie en Rose, and she is a very famous French singer. Mm-hmm. I have never seen this movie. I love Marianne Cotillard. I love her in Batman. I think that she is gorgeous. And I'm always down for, like, a Charlize Theron monster, let's make you look ugly even though you're hot performance. Sure. And... I loved every second of this movie. I hated that Colin Hanks was in it. He ruined it with his Fringlish. What? What? Are you, and what? Are you, Colin Hanks was in this movie? 
Yeah, he showed up at one point and he was speaking for English and it was really was bad. Was that he was, him? Yeah, I was like, I did not context. pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Um, at least it, who's who's the other son? The white rapper, the white culture. It was like a drug problem. Well, he was the one after the Golden Globes this year yeah. that he started like speaking in a like like a Jamaican accent. Let's be thankful that it wasn't the other son. Yeah, I <laughs> agree. Who showed up in Lavia Rose? Yeah, because at least at least he hit. I mean, at least Colin Hanks hit his mark and was actually speaking in French. It was awful French, but he was I speaking totally in French. I totally didn't check. I totally didn't clock that it was Colin Hanks. Oh my goodness! The one thing that I will say about this performance, though, of um, Edith Piaf, is that um, she was an extremely impoverished and had an extremely shitty life, and. Most French women, because like my family is French, my mother's main name is Larue. I, I have I was a lot of French. Ask because your pronunciations were so lovely. Oh, merci beaucoup. Yeah, my family, my family, my my French compared to my family's French is like really bad. But like I grew up with French people, and um, I grew up like all of my family's in Quebec. I have best friends whose family's from Quebec. It's like I'm very familiar with Quebec culture, and French women. I would say that her performance it seemed a little bit like caricature ish, but most French women that I know are like that yeah. and her transition from being like um and by the way when i say old edith pf i'm like talking in her 40s it's i'm not like, saying old i mean it's it's like the judy garland thing right when she yeah when she passed away like it's astonishing yeah it's astonishing how young she was when 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 she passed away because you look back and you're like how did she cram in so much art and so much life into those oh yeah that she was working but the thing is, is, you know, uh, historically, like best actress, um, well, actually, historically, for foreign language films, it's always a lead category. It's very, very rarely uh, yeah, supporting. So yeah. you had Day for Night with um, with uh, Valentina Cortese in 1973. And then you had What's Her Face for Roma, like a couple years ago. So it's like a supporting oh, uh, role for a Can I remember her name? Melina, Melina de Tavares? Was that I'm, her name? I can't answer. I always, I'm so, I'm that literally. A, that was a fun nomination. Nobody saw that coming. You know, but I'm glad that she got it. But the point yeah. is, is that when it's a foreign language film and you have a lead, it's usually a lead. And in this, in this case, her performance really transcended language barriers because when I was watching it, it was like, I, I, even though I was like reading subtitles for like half of it, it didn't matter because I was just so invested and I was so into it. Yeah. I loved, 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 loved this movie. And it's funny because I saw it when it came out. And at the time, I remember loving her performance, but not loving the movie that surrounded it. And when I watched, and I, and when I watched it again last week, I loved the movie itself. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's because maybe in the intervening years, there's been a ton of biopics. There's been, a, right. you know, there's been, or, or maybe I've gone back and I've watched stuff like, like I watched Coal Miner's Daughter not too long ago. Love uh, that movie. So, but I, but what I loved about this movie was it put you inside of her world in a way that just sort of fucked chronology. Because they kept, but that was the, I love yeah. that because and it was I literally think, like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And, and I think that's what sets it apart from like Ray and Walk the Line uh, and, mm -hmm. and Sweet Dreams and Coal Miner's Daughter and all those other music biopics is that the movie, the movie just, the life just sort of swirls around you in no particular order. So you're just sort of swept up in the passion without knowing what year it is or where she's at in her career. And it's very powerful. It's very consuming. And done in such a, like thoughtful way that you wouldn't even notice because she plays like old Edith and then she plays young Edith and then she plays like halfway through her career Edith yeah. and they are all different but the same and it's still grounded to the character and it's like you're okay so it's like it's like okay right now in the script I have to be like this at this point in her life and then at this point I have to be more I don't know naive and ignorant and I have to be more like reserved and bashful and then at the end of it I have to be more confident but also like and just like the way that she does it it's so 
real and again it's like just the performance it doesn't matter that it's in french because it literally it's on like the, i don't even know that on the contrary it's better because it's in this native tongue it's better because it's in this native language mm-hmm. um, i know I, I yeah sure it obviously it lends to it because that is the actual story itself but i just I'm just saying that like I, whether this was in any language, it just would have, it, it, it transcend, it just connects with you. It has nothing to do with languages. And at no point in the movie, do you ever watch it and say, well, Marielle Cotillard is a really good actress because there's no acting going on. There's no, you know, it's real. And you never think you never, you never sit, you never sit in the audience and you never think, oh, wow, that's, that's good acting. She's very good. She's very talented because you're so swept up in this woman and mm-hmm. the line, you know, the line between Marion and Adid, it's just like, it's gone. It's gone. Mm. You're just so swept out and like every, every pore, every inch of her body is just passion. Like it's, it's great. I agree. It's no, I agree. Although one thing as like a joke that was kept driving me fucking crazy was that she kept collapsing on stage and constantly looked like she was like struggling to keep balance. I'm like, can we get this bitch a stool? Like just anything to prevent her from like breaking a hip or something like, because it happened like five times. And I, and I liked Renee's work in Judy. Like I'm not one of those gays that had a big problem with it. I thought her work in Judy was very, very good and very worthy, but at no point in Judy did I ever stop watching Renee Zellweger act. Oh, yeah, like a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, she was nominated for two days, one night, um, for a second time, uh, which was also a French movie. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people thought that she was going to be nominated for rust and bone. And that didn't happen. Oh, that's but- a good movie. Yes. Marianne, Marianne Cotillard is such a powerhouse. And, um, I, uh, okay. You know what, actually, you know what, let's not, let's, let's not go too crazy into it. I, I think that, I think that we need to, if you're okay with it, unless you have anything else to add, I think it's time to reveal who we think should have won. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm very happy that I got a chance to watch this movie again because this movie grew in my estimation. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And you are welcome. So also thank you for doing this podcast. <laughs> um, you get to do the honors of going first of who you think should have won. Boom. I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Laura Linney in the savages. And look, okay. I know it was never going to happen. <laughs> I know. And I am in no way, shape, or form am I against Marion Cotillard having an Oscar for playing a deep PF. I think that is fabulous. Um, <laughs> but just because this particular movie and this particular performances touch a nerve so deep and primal within me that I can't Mm -hmm. describe it to you, Kyle. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel so personally connected to the main characters in the savages. Um, And I think that Laura Linney as a whole is generally underrated. Um, That that would easily have been my pick. And I know it would never happen. And I don't want to deny Marion her Oscar, but that is my personal gut primal pick for, for best actor. Love that. I absolutely love that. Okay. I, I mean, I figured that that would be it, but sure. um, yeah. I, I love that. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say who I think should have won. So I think that the Oscar should have gone to... Marianne Cotillard. I mean, I, I, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like that was pretty obvious on my part, no, but I'm, like... I'm not, not going to fight you on this. The AI watching this movie, I mean, again, I'm always down for like a Charlize transformation where it's this hot, hot woman that like just goes ugly and I just don't even notice because it's so real. To be fair, Laura Linney dyed her hair brown for the savages. No, I hated it. I hated it so much. And that's the point, Kyle. You should. <laughs> it was so. It was so ugly. It like she. It was such a wig or whatever. I hated it. It was like wearing her. But I felt like Marion Cotillard should have won this just because, first of all, again, the foreign language film category is often overlooked. So when somebody is winning for a lead role, she won the BAFTA. She won the Golden Globe. She won the. It's like she just was oh no she didn't win the sag she didn't win the sag but the point is is that do you know who won the sag that year was it julie christie 
It was it was Julie Christie. Okay. So Marianne Cotillard, like her performance in this was believable. I was obsessed with it. It made me want to learn French again even better. I literally was obsessed with her story. I loved how flawed she was, and I didn't dislike her at all for a moment. And she just was so consistent, whether she was old or young or whatever. It was like she she knew how to play it. And then it it just it even though it was like back and forth and back and forth with the timeline, it was so consistent. I believed every yeah. second of it. And it just felt like it was such a home run for me. There's, and I would easily watch that movie a million times again. There's a there's a very famous review about Meryl from early on in her career. I forget what movie it was referring to, but Janet Maslin very famously said, uh, Meryl Streep only acts from the neck up, meaning that she's this very like intellectual and cerebral actor who does her homework mm-hmm. and studies her accents. And, you know, it could have been about Sophie's Choice. Maybe it was about Sophie's Choice. But I think that Marion's performance in Le'Veon Rose is the exact opposite of that statement. Where it was like H to T. Where she just acts with everything, every part of her. She just acts. Yeah. All of it. I know. I I I loved it, and I love I love that uh, we have yet to agree on <laughs> I guess on a win. Know. And you know what? The last time I picked the one who won, and this time you did. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I love that. Well, okay, guys. So thank you. It's all about symmetry. No, well, thank you guys so much for um, tuning into another episode of Best Actress. We have episodes every single two weeks. It rotates at Best Supporting to Lead, Best Supporting to Lead. Please leave us a review on iTunes. We need those reviews. And check us out on social media. Uh, Daniel Krolik, thank you so much for being a guest on here again. Oh, and I think anytime. that we need to have you back for uh, Jennifer Hudson because we talked about it <laughs> earlier. So I feel like maybe that needs to happen. Yeah, that's, I, I think, hmm. Yeah, I think I have a lot to say about that year. I think I think so too. All right. Oh, well, uh, that means I have to watch Little Miss Sunshine. Shit. Oh yeah, that that was an interesting Ooh. film. Uh, well, until next time, um, Daniel, thank you so much for being part of the show, and we will see you guys next time. See ya. Bye.